Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, friendos. Well met and welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon podcast. Previously on, Brian and I boarded the hype train, anticipating the release of Starfield on PC and Xbox, as well as Baldur's Gate 3 on the PS5. And lo and behold, we did the episode last week talking about Brian's Starfield impressions. He's just beaten it pretty much. I think you're still going to play a little bit, right? Or are you kind of maybe I, I kind of I kind of started another playthrough and then I was kind of like, I think I'm ready to set this aside. I know that'll make some people sad, but I'm like 60 some hours <laughs> beat all the main content. I, I feel very satisfied with it. Great game. So well, we're going to we're going to do an episode next week. Uh, having Brian give his review on that going into spoiler territory. So that's going to be fun. Look forward to that. Uh, what are you going to play next? Actually, what are you moving on to in between? I don't know. Uh, you know, halfway through the game, I was thinking I'm definitely going to play Skyrim. Again, because it's been so Got long, yeah. but I don't know if I can handle that much Bethesda into the veins at once. <laughs> so Spider-Man's, uh, it's a month away still. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to play. Are, I'm, you, I'm are be, you sitting out on uh, Phantom Liberty? I've considered picking that up. I have considered picking that up. Uh, I've also thought this might be a really cool time to play through Final Fantasy VII Remake again, because it's been well over a year since I played it. And, you know, we just got the rebirth hype. So that would be fun. How It'd much different content is there with Intergrade? Uh, New content. It's, yeah, it's it's about a five hour can- Yuffie campaign. Um, okay. But if you do some of the little side quests and, you know, there's like a there's like a little mini game in there, too. You could probably juice it for a little more hours out of it. But if you did you see the, the bundle they have going right now? Yeah. For yeah. Well, I didn't see how much it was, but I saw them advertise. Well, if you just if you just pre-order Final Fantasy VII Rebirth for the full $70, they give you the full Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate Package. But Ooh. but then again, actually, Josh, I could be wrong, but I think, because you already owned it on PS4, I think you can just get a $10 upgrade. Okay. But then again, if you're going to buy Rebirth anyways, it's technically cheaper to do it that route. Well, does Sony but, take out the money immediately from your account when you pre-order? Because Xbox usually waits mm-hmm. till it's about to come out, I think. I'm trying to think if... I, I almost want to say Sony does take it right away. That's okay. freaking Sony. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> cause I, cause I, I pre-ordered Final Fantasy 16 like a month ahead of time. I think it took it right away. But, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's still a cool way, option, though. That's pretty it's, cool. It's, you'll, definitely, you'll definitely want, I mean, you, I know in you, you'll probably wait till like a month or less for the game releases, but you'll definitely want to play the Yuffie DLC, not only because it's more content that pertains, but 
it does tie in with an extra. Remember, I told you it gives an extra ending to oh, actual seven for Zach, right? Yeah, uh, for Zach and for the rest of them. There's okay. more. It shows them traveling to the next village and the more conversation, more. Wow, it's yeah. based on that. I was just talking on the Patreon. I said I don't know if I'm going to have time to play that. I want to, but I don't know if I well, you, you, will have time you to don't play have that to. Uh, you don't have to play replay through remake. It'll let you jump right into the UFI DLC. You can just mm. play. Oh, that's definitely tempting that, then. That's something you could do in a day or two. Yeah. Like I said. Oh, I might do that then. I might do that because I'd like to have it beat before Rebirth. Yeah, and also the I feel like they refined the gameplay even for the Yuffie stuff. Like the, the Yuffie DLC was like showing what they were going to do with Rebirth. Like it looks like in Rebirth you're going to have, uh, you can see from the trailers, it looks like you're going to have like moves where like two characters come together to do special moves and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. And there was kind of that in, in the Yuffie DLC a bit. She, her, her, her control and... Her like synergy with her companion in that game and the Yuffie DLC was like an upgrade even from remake. So I found it really good. I mean, I thought, I guess I don't know. They didn't, they never sold it as an individual package because um, mm-hmm. I was about to say like it's definitely worth the money, but I don't know what <coughs> they would have charged. I don't know what they would have charged for the Yuffie DLC if it was a loan. I think it's worth twenty bucks or less. I thought it was twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that that seems right. I mean, I, I and I might have that upgrade. I'm eligible for. I just haven't really looked into it. But that's pretty cool, though, man. Where you 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 probably got super hyped though when you saw the trailer, right? For Reaper. yeah, kind of. Well, it's kind of crazy because I had that awful day. Which for those in the Discord, there, you know, but my I dropped my phone on a road and didn't realize I dropped it till two minutes later. And but when I ran back, it had been ran over by a car already. So I had this awful day with trying to get my pictures off my phone, get a new phone. I missed the Nintendo thing. I missed the PlayStation thing. Well, then I come home and I'm like. Finally, at the end of the day, everything's done, wrapped up. I'm like, I'm going to see if I can catch any of the PlayStation Showcase. And I turn the TV on, and it's the lady saying, we have one more thing from Square Enix, and I just get no to see way. Rebirth. Yeah, like, that's wow. it. Like, great timing, bro. Timed. Yeah, and that's the, thing that, you. that's the thing that mattered the most. If I had got there any earlier, I would have seen Foam Stars, and that would have been a travesty. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not the most fun. But, yeah, guys, uh, Brian has not played any of Baldur's Gate 3. He's been focused on starfield but he's gonna help me out here he's gonna join with me and celebrate me having played boulders gate 3 uh i played about 30 hours now when i've been able to that's the the hardest part about this game and i know you guys playing starfield is probably ha- probably had the same experience even if you've got more time with it just not enough hours <coughs> to get in with it not enough time in <coughs> sessions i mean this is the first time in a long time where i'm really like realizing how much or a little time I'm playing in my sessions. Like there's times when I just have like two hours and because it's an RPG, I get so little done in that just time. like one combat encounter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, sometimes it is, it is, but uh, they can be pretty awesome. But before I go into uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the content itself, guys, I want, I do want to talk a little bit about some story stuff, non-spoiler of course, but gameplay and whatnot. And then just some cons I have for it and final thoughts. I wanted to actually go back about a month in time for you guys that don't know um, and kind of talk about some, some drama that was going on within the industry about this game and uh, pick Brian's brain about this. Cause we haven't really talked about this a lot, but uh, t- yeah, to start things off on Metacritic, both on the PS five and PC, this game currently sits at 96 with its meta score um, on steam. The game has an all time peak of 875,343 and for comparison, although I'm not saying it for competing senses, but just to give you an, an idea, Starfield, all-time peak, 330,597. Uh, top 10 of all time, Baldur's Gate 3 is in sixth place. Uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, or seventh place, I'm sorry. 
uh, with that number. So it's hugely successful. It's got a. <laughs> I have to read these reviews real quick because this game took off like a bat out of hell coming out of nowhere. I don't think anyone expected this game to be this good. Someone says, you know, that time when you're playing D&D and you think, man, it would be so cool if this was a game but it would be too intricate and extremely difficult and tasking to create. So it's probably not a reasonable thing to wish for. Well, this is that game. Another person said to sum this up in a way that only other players will understand. This game has a unique ability to make you think about your next playthrough while you're still playing your current one. Totally happening to me. The last one, my favorite, this is way cheaper than a heroin addiction. 10 (laughs) out of 10. So this game obviously is, has taken off. Now, what's interesting about this is this person, I'm not, there's too many names, so I'm not going to go through all the names specifically, but a lot of people within the industry came out and wanted to kind of advise gamers to not get too, uh, to not have too high expectations for other games to follow this trend. Uh, One person in the industry said that kicked this all off. Like a lot of people, I'm deeply excited about what the lovely folks at Larian accomplished with Baldur's Gate 3 but I want to gently preemptively push back against players taking that excitement and using it to apply criticism or a raised standard to RPGs going forward. Another person said, you're absolutely right. Even if you look at one of Swen's touchstones, Swen being the, I think that's his name, the CEO of Larian. I want to look at one of his touchstones, Ultima seven. That's a game that had 12 years of prior games feeding into it. If we were to look at this as a new benchmark, we would need to then focus on creating conditions just like with Tears of the Kingdom. Another person said to that, great thread. The conditions under which BG3 were made are atypical. This is in no way a slight against the game or the people working on it who are clearly passionate and talented. Having the foundation set and the funding to build things on your own term is invaluable. Another person said, please, please, please uh, put some thought into this before you proclaim this is what AAA should be moving forward. Six years and 400 plus people with insane funding due to the IP have given BG3 a big boost. It's truly unrealistic to expect this on a regular basis. And an employee from Larian tweeted back, what funding? Uh, Next up, this is pretty interesting. Developers aren't panicking about, quote, new expectations. Everything I've seen has been related to questioning the sustainability of making titles this large. BG3 was in development for six years, involved a team of 400 plus and had funding from one of the largest IPs out there. Another person saying that same guy replied, small detail. I believe it's publicly known that Wizards of the Coast, who owns Dungeons and Dragons, didn't fund BG3. We paid for the privilege of creating the game with this IP. <clears throat> Excuse me. Asked about the details. Swen, and I may, again, I may be mispronouncing his name, guys, agreed that Baldur's Gate 3 could only have come about under certain circumstances. He was quoted as saying, obviously, yeah, if you're a 50 man studio or 10 man studio, you shouldn't try to make a game like Boulder's Gate 3, he said. But he questioned the reality of the, quote, standards being argued over. I'm losing my voice, apparently. The problem I have is with the use of the word standards, he said. This is video games. Standards just die every day. Things get reinvented. New things appear all the time. When I was starting out in the industry, Assassin's Creed set the new standard. It was over. Nobody could make games like Assassin's Creed. There was too much budget behind it. That was going to be the future. Everybody had to consolidate, blah, blah, blah. That didn't materialize. Video games are so much more free space to explore, still in the creative tree. So 
uh, we also had someone else that kind of pushed back on this, and that's where I wanted to kind of get Brian's thoughts after this. She said, oh boy, here comes my usual take. I can't disagree with this one more. Whenever a game disrupts the industry and delights players beyond expectations, <clears throat> it absolutely raises the industry and genre standards regardless of the why and how. She finished by saying, we should look at the Larian success story and ask ourselves, how are we going to make our games better and create the next games that shake up the industry? Players should and must always expect more from us, nevertheless. So that's pretty interesting to me, the fact that this came about, and I only learned about this recently. Uh, what do you think about all that, Brian? I do, th- not to sound like your average gamer TM, but I do think it's, for the most part, bullshit. Um, the, the things I'll preface that with are, I'm not a publisher, I'm not a developer, I don't know the industry the way that people actually who work in it do, so we can't pretend like we know everything, there's stuff we don't know. Right. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is, there's only one angle that I can see this being a fair statement, and that's that publishers and the people supporting the video games that are being made, they don't want to support uh, AAA budget, tactical, isometric, uh, turn-based RPGs for six years with no return or microtransactions built in. So I think when... I think when people in the industry are saying, don't expect this going forward, it's too high of a standard. I think that's true if what they mean is publishers are not going to allow us to do this because right. that's probably true. I mean, you I mean, you just don't see these kind of games being made and publishers are always looking to get the maximum amount of money out of the least amount of work. And Baldur's Gate 3 looks like a ton of work for six years uh, sure. With no, there's no microtransactions built in. There's no, there's no way to like buy skins for your characters or something like that. So pretty cool. And and that's the thing is like, despite how well this game's doing, the sad truth is is it's probably not going to make anywhere near as much money as a game that did sell microtransactions and stuff like that. Um, but they were uncompromised in their vision. Um, so I think, but pu- putting that aside, there's no reason why. We can't expect games to be at this quality. And let me say, before I go forward with that too, what do we mean when we say games this quality? Like, Baldur's Gate 3, there's other games that already exist that are, that are of similar quality to Baldur's Gate 3. It's mm-hmm. not like we're saying Baldur's Gate 3 is the only game in the world to achieve this. I would say something like Grand Theft Auto 5 or Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm not saying they're the same score or whatever, but the level of of quality in those kind of games is similar to Baldur's Gate. Right. Um, or maybe like an Elden Ring or, 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 you know, just, I could, I could list, I could go on and list games like that. So there's, there's games that are of the quality of Baldur's Gate 3 already. I understand that it's not a one-to-one comparison, like Red Dead Redemption 2 to Baldur's Gate 3 doesn't have like all the different outcomes or something like that, but they're sure. different games. So we already have games that are of the quality of Baldur's Gate 3. This isn't, in a sense, this isn't anything new. This is new for like, wow, look at this CRPG. I, I think the genre it's, itself, it's stuff. Genre, it's an evolution like, or next step. But yeah, but yeah we, we do get no. games that are this quality Good. already. I don't want to pretend like this is the only one. Um, but then when they talk about, you know, like six years of development, I don't even know why they bring that up. Most games are getting that now anyways, it seems. Five, six years or longer. I'm pretty sure Matt Booty or someone at Microsoft even said like the, the days of, or the era of like the three-year development cycle yeah. games is kind of over. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't really think six years is much. I mean, Gamers 
you know, we're can be very impatient, but like I think gamers are fine with <laughs> if, if games can be the quality of Baldur's Gate three, I think they're fine waiting six years. We pretty much are anyways. Waited six years for Halo Infinite, waited eight years for Starfield. Um, I mean, and, and that's another thing too is like, and I know some of the people in the Discord they're gonna be like they're gonna hate when I say this, but I'm like, Starfield had eight years. Uh, Baldur's Gate three had six. Baldur's Gate's a way better game. <laughs> You know, I can just tell Ooh, that already. Man, you just put a target on your back right now, like, Brian. Like I know, but like, and I haven't played Baldur's Gate Ooh. three, so but like, Starfield is just more Bethesda, and yeah. and it took eight years. L- to is that a little Bethesda. sizzle for next week's episode? It is. It is, <laughs> and I loved, I loved, loved, loved Starfield. But like, it's and and also another thing you brought up, Josh, is like, oh well, this game was only possible because they iterated on this game for years by like, for instance, like Divinity: Original Sin and Original sure. Sin two. They carried their learnings and development. There's no way Baldur's Gate three could have been made from scratch in six years. There's no way. It's not po- that probably is not possible. But I still don't know what the point of this was because every almost every studio I can think of does iterate on their prior games. Bethesda has been iterating on the same engine for twenty plus years. Mm-hmm. You know they should be able to deliver more than they are now. Uh, you look at Bungie with uh, I think Destiny even was built off of the the Blam code from Halo. I mean, all oh, of these games. Okay, interesting. Uh, Bio- Bioware, I know, like they had to switch to Frostbite Engine, but a lot of their right. games for a while were were built upon the same. Like uh, most companies with franchise, like they build on their technology. So I still, right. none of these things are really convincing me of why we couldn't expect this kind of type of quality. Games are taking six years already. People are iterating on their prior technology and games already. What is what is the issue here? I think what the issue is is that, like I said, publishers don't want to invest six years. I mean, Baldur's Gate 3 had to be freaking expensive to make. I can't imagine. And like, let's say I'm making the numbers up here. Let's say Baldur's Gate 3 took 400 million <clears throat> to develop and it's going to make 1.5 billion. That was a profit, but like that probably wasn't, I mean, think about if you make something like Genshin Impact or something that costs like nowhere near as much and then makes tens of billions. I mean, it's like, why why stress over a game for six years with no microtransactions or way to pick up revenue if, if your goal is profits? And I think that's the thing is like, obviously, one of the goals of Baldur's Gate 3 was profits because like the studio is not going to survive or pay the families to continue mm-hmm. if they don't. But like <coughs> Baldur's Gate 3 pretty clearly seems like a game developed out of passion for people who wanted to make a particular type of game uncompromising. So for sure. I, I think it's the only thing I'll say is I think it might be unrealistic to expect Baldur's Gate 3 type of quality in AAA gaming consistently when you have publishers that don't want that. Publishers do not want that type of game. But with the amount of money that's being spent on these games and the amount of time that they're being developed, I don't think it's crazy to ask for that much at all. And I, and I also don't know why, I'm reiterating what I already said, but I don't know why people didn't bring up my, my first point, which was we have we have other games that are the quality of Baldur's Gate 3. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from Baldur's Gate 3, but like, why are people pretending like this is the only game on the planet to be this quality? It might be the only CRPG with this much development behind it, but like, there's a lot of games that are as good as Baldur's Gate Three. I just, I would say they're rare. You know, I would say just this year. I mean, there's, I don't know if there's anything that's really going to be on Baldur's Gate Three's level, but that's kind of what I have. I mean, I probably could say more, but I'll pass it back to you, Josh. Well, I, nah, you make a lot of great points. That's why Brian's the best. I pass it over to him, and look, he just slam dunks that shit with a ton of info. Uh, it's pretty interesting to me, too, because when it comes to the budget aspect, I have no idea how much that game costs to make, but 
we know for a fact that with the divinity games they had to get that stuff on kickstarter just to get going mm-hmm. so yeah they used the funding like whatever they made off of the divinity games to fund this game which is insane to comprehend oh, i mean i have heard amazing things about original sin 2 but it's hard to imagine the way boulders gate 3 has turned out just having that budget but we don't know you know i don't know and uh for you guys interested, though, if you want to get more info on this stuff, uh, a lot of this information I got from Maddie Plays on YouTube. Also, Dustin Legary of IGN put out a great video uh, talking about this, and that's where a lot of the hubbub was kind of stemming from. But pretty interesting. Just feels weird. I mean, I, I can see why, and I'm going to go into some of those points of why I think this is unique and interesting in its own way. But at the same time, it just seems silly to talk about that. I look at something like Witcher 3, which when that came out, everyone was like, oh, the quest, all the side quests, all those types of quests are on the same level of quality as the main quest, it feels like. And then you'd see other games come out. And I think it was Bioware t- uh, commenting on Andromeda at one point and saying they took inspiration from Witcher 3 for their side quests. Yeah. Like, you know, as much as <laughs> I love failed. it. You failed. You failed. I enjoy Andromeda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but no, and, and, you and saw that. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Josh. I, didn't mean I was just going to say it. I saw them. I, I after Witcher Three came out, I thought maybe side quests will really take a step up in quality. And I don't feel I feel like Witcher Three is still one of a kind. And I think Baldur's Gate Three is the first game that I've played since Witcher Three where it feels like the side quests are on the same level. And I'm going to go into that more, but that never really became a trend that took off, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And people didn't have the expectations much then because I feel like Witcher Three was sort of lightning in a bottle at the time. But now you're seeing this with another RPG that's a, a different kind. But people are saying that, you know, pushing back and, and not wanting people to expect that. I almost wonder if that's down to just microtransactions. Like our games have to have some element of like currency Reoccurring that's constantly revenue. reoccurring. Yeah, perfectly said. So I don't know if it's that, but still silly to talk about like let people be happy let this game be successful even if you don't like it it's something you should celebrate i think we see history repeating itself because like it's funny because i'm not even trying to bring up bethesda but like when skyrim came out that was a game that you never would have expected 60 million copies to sell skyrim was it was just doing things better in 2011 Mm -hmm. than its contemporaries right and then witcher 3 comes along and it kind of looks at, I mean, people who worked on Witcher 3 cite Skyrim for inspiration. Witcher 3 comes along and they kind of up the ante again, right? Like, I'm not saying Witcher 3 is objectively better than Skyrim, but it's it's writing. And it's Joe quests, would say that. Like, yeah, I would say it's writing and quests are a step up, right? And then right. what have we really seen for RPGs since Witcher 3 that has upped the ante? I would say we haven't seen anything until Baldur's Gate 3. No. It, you, you can take that for any genre. I think when... Um, you know, GoldenEye came out on N64. It was like, oh, this is a fun multiplayer game on a console. Well, then you get Halo, and Halo pretty much makes GoldenEye. You know, I know some people would be mad about this, but, like, why would you play GoldenEye after Halo, right? Like, Halo's so much more better, well-built. I'm not saying you can't prefer GoldenEye, but you know what I mean. Then you play Halo, and Halo's kind of top dog. Well, then Halo doesn't innovate, and then Call of Duty kind of takes over. You know what I mean? Like, this, we just continue to see this. And I'm sure there's a decent chance. Because remember when Witcher 3 came out, CD Projekt Red felt like an angel sent down from above. Felt like they could do no wrong. Oh, yeah. But now that's what Larian feels like. Yeah, like Larian's now, the new CD Projekt. Yeah, now CD Projekt, they're the guys who gave us a good game and then screwed us over on Cyberpunk, but fixed it, and we're starting to mend the relationship. Larian's got that. They look like the angel from above. So now just picture, in 10 years, could we be talking about a new game from Larian that dropped the ball, and we're like, oh, we thought these were the Baldur's Gate 3 guys, but they're you know, kind of... 
You know, it, history repeats itself. Maddie, Maddie talked about this too, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, you know, basically when you're a smaller studio, you kind of have everything to, to gain and nothing to lose. But then when you become a bigger studio, as more success comes your way, that's when your leash is shortened by corporate, you know, the people, the, the overheads and yeah. stuff like that. And you kind of, you're kind of limited in what you can do and the chances you want to take. And, and then you have to start enforcing stuff like that. And so that's always possible. I mean, I think that is that? what would probably, I don't know specifically if it's true, but I feel like that's probably what happened with CD project going from Witcher. Well, to remember all the stuff that came out from Jason Schreier about CD project red, the, the whole mentality in the studio was we're the people who made Witcher 3. We did that. So we can do anything. And then like the, the higher ups were, were pushing crunch and like getting the game out early. Mm -hmm. We're like, we made Witcher 3. Like just will this into existence because we're the Witcher 3 people. And I can see how that would happen, right? Like th think if you were somebody who majorly contributed to the development of Witcher 3, it would be hard not to have some hubris to think like, wow, I can probably do anything. Like a lot of people think I created, helped create the best RPG ever made. Uh, and that, that hubris kicked him in the butt. So, like, it's going to be hard for Larian to keep a level head and, and follow up now. But, yeah, I, I think the whole, like, you know, get your expectations, lower your expectations. We should always hire expectations for these things. But it's funny, too, like, there's always that part of me that, you know, you and I have talked about this several times in the podcast before, Josh. It's like where I'm always the advocate of we don't need to spend more money and have more you know, we don't need to up the ante every time. Like, we can just have a good game. And that's where something... <laughs> Well, I was going to say, that's where I can give Starfield some credibility. They didn't up the ante. <laughs> like, Damn. No, like, they just gave us, they gave us more high quality Bethesda, but they didn't really push the envelope at all. Where's the so, Badum Tiss like, for that? Yeah, but, yeah, but um, that's probably a bad example because that was eight years in development. But like, I've always, you know, me and Josh had this disagreement years ago um, that Josh has kind of come around more on where it's like, I don't think every game needs to have more budget, higher graphics, higher this, higher that, like. We could just get a really good like I mean imagine if imagine if a Kotor three came out today that we can't even looked, get a remake. I know, but I like I can't imagine. Imagine if we get a Kotor three that had like similar scope and level design mm -hmm. as Kotor one, with just the same quality writing and characters and everything, but with PS four graphics. I mean, that's probably be pretty exciting for you still. You know, yeah. like if you got the same quality, like it doesn't. Oh, but now if a KOTOR 3 came out, KOTOR 3 has to be open world. It has to have ray tracing, HDR. It has to have Troy Baker doing half the roles. Like, you know, that's just like we don't need that. Miss but, me with that uh, shit. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, so much of Baldur's Gate 3 and I haven't played it, to be fair, but I have watched a lot of content on it and, and read a lot of reviews and all that stuff. It does seem like a lot of Baldur's Gate three stems from the passion that's behind it, you know, and just they're they're not they're not beholden to a major company. They're not acquired yet, you know. Right. Unfortunately, I think they probably will be within the next decade. It seems impossible to not be acquired in the, in the industry as it stands, but especially since they're once Baldur's Gate three, you know, once the sales really come down, you know, once let's say once even the Xbox version's been out for a couple years, mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate three is probably going to be at a $30 or less price consistently with sales down to 10 15 Well, I can't remember. How are remember. they going to bring in new money? You know, how are they going to bring in new revenue? Yeah, that's a good question. They'll I, I can't DLC. remember if it was in Maddie's video. I swore I heard him talk about it, but I, 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 I'm not 100%. But I swore he said that Xbox did approach them about an acquisition, like acquiring them. And Larian said respectfully, like, no, because we wouldn't be able to make what the kind of games we want to make. 
pretty interesting. That's it. That yeah. that's what takes us all the way back to the, the beginning of what you said. Like this is a this is a publisher thing. This is like a you know money at the top type thing. And you know, and this could really we need to move on to the game itself. I know that, but like this Take could really time. like this could really stem into politics, and we don't want to go that route. But like so much of the publisher's decision making with like how games continue to to get, get revenue is mm-hmm. paying the people at the top huge salaries. You know, and I do think people at the top should get more like believe it or not i i do believe people at the top should probably get more than the standard developer and i know that's where people go well the developer's the one making the game yeah but if you're the ceo or the or the, the the manager or the leader of the entire company i think it's fair that you receive a bump more than your average employee but you know if we're talking you know gta 6 needs to sell a hundred million copies so that the the ceos get to take home a $500 million bonus. I don't think that's necessary. You know what I mean? Like I think now legally it's okay, but morality for me says, why do you need, you're already a multi-millionaire already. Why do you need a $500 million cut of this? So like if let's say, let's say GTA six, somehow it only sold 70 million copies. Like there's actually a realistic situation where 70 million copies of GTA six, if it didn't have online microtransactions, which it will, that might be a failure because of how big the budget is, right? Like, it, maybe it has to sell $100 million, But, like, those guys at the top, they're still going to take their cut regardless of the failure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, it's just, like, what, what, how much higher could the expectations be if we weren't worried about the guys at the top getting the huge payout, right? Like, it's just, like, the, the whole Immortals of Avium thing right now with that studio getting laid off. It seems like that game's a pretty quality game. Like, it doesn't seem like it's bad. It's not Baldur's Gate 3, duh, you know, but, like, it seems like it's a pretty quality game, but um, where was I going with this, I guess? It just it didn't make money, so I guess, I mean, but I'm guessing the guys at the top, you know, EA probably still got its cut, or whoever, or the people at the, the head of the development studio probably still mm-hmm. got its cut. Um, so, I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but... You're good, man. Still touching on some feels, good points. Yeah, it just feels like... The problem is not with expecting quality, you know. I think it's mm-hmm. because it's, it seems like even with like something like Immortals, the quality's there. But well, this game is, I think, an exception. It's a, it, it's what used to be in a lot of ways the standard, but it's it's now the exception because of what where the industry's at. And I, you know, I feel like whenever people talk about that, we just sound like you know, are a new version of boomers that are basically like, oh, they don't make it how they used to, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, they just don't. Games are so different now and the demands that come with them. And then, of course, the microtransactions. And and even though people complain about that, for every 10 people that complain about that stuff, there's 10 other people that say, oh, I love the live service on Destiny. I just, I wish there was no uh, drop of content. Like, I, uh, there's no absence of it. I wish there was always yeah. new stuff coming in for that type of stuff. So, so I don't believe in hobby games, you know, Destiny, World of Warcraft. We tried. Yeah, we, we've tried it at least. We did. Yeah, I don't believe in it. It just wasn't for us yeah. as much personally. But, you know, and credit to Larian Studios, too. They put this game in early access. The This game is split into three acts, guys. And they put the entire first act into early access, like well over a year ago. So people on Steam had all this time to play it, give feedback, test out new features as they slowly added stuff in. And I think that's another reason why the game turned out super well. And I'm not saying you can do that with every game or that you should. But I think that really helps go to show, too, that they were very consumer friendly in terms of like we yeah. want to make a game that is going to like, yeah, we're making this game. We're excited. We feel good about it. But we also want your input and we're going to utilize that and look at the reception and how it turned out. 
I hope that this game sells well enough between PC, PS5, and Xbox that we can see more chances taken on games like this, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether the budget is indeed big or small. But time's going to tell. I don't necessarily expect that. I'm not going to expect anything. I would just hope to, after playing this, I would hope to see that Larian's next game is another Boulder's Gates or D&D game because they've landed it so, so well. I'd wager a lot of the sales for this game to come from it being a uh, phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I've heard a lot of people, and not an insignificant amount of people who bought the game, and they're not even upset they bought the game, but they played like Act One, and they're like, "I don't like these type of games." You know, like so I, yeah. they're done, they're done playing it. You know, and because it's not a, definitely not for everybody. Not the most, yeah. yeah, it's not the most approachable like combat system and stuff like that. But no. it's just like you know, like when Elden Ring came out. Or, or Breath of the Wild. It's right. one of those things where, like, even if you don't, even if you didn't want the game, you start considering. I think, Josh, at one, there was one day, I think you were even like, yeah, I considered maybe buying Elden Ring, but uh, nah, I probably won't. Yeah, that's like, accurate. Like, there's no, you had no hype, and there's no, you have no history to say, why would you buy Elden Ring? But when it becomes such a cultural phenomenon and the FOMO is just strata- catastrophic levels, you start to wonder, oh, maybe I'll pick that up. Like me, like, I don't like the type of combat just from a preference standpoint that Baldur's Gate 3 has, but there's a good chance I'm going to pick it up because it's just, it's one of those games. It's one of those touchstone games, right? Mm-hmm. So I think when you create something that's so good, it can transcend even the people that are interested in it. You know, people Absolutely. just pick it up anyways. I said it in the Discord a few days ago. I said, this game is so monumental that it's the one-of-a-kind game that comes by every so often that even if you're not interested in the game, you kind of stop to look at it and you're just kind of yeah. like, would you look at that? Like, look at that, how that that lightning in a bottle moment just happened for us in the industry in and history. I don't know what it, I don't know what changed for me, but like when I was a teenager, if let's say, okay, so when Halo three came out, that mm-hmm. was going to be the best game of the year to me, no matter what, like mass effect came out that year. Bioshock came out that year. Um, great year, 2007. But like, as a teenager, <laughs> okay, you list two games and you're like, great year. <laughs> well, back those to, are great. The, games. Bio, you know, Bioshock, no, Assassin's lot. Creed, mass effect, call of duty, modern warfare. Absolutely. Halo three. But like for me as a teenager, Halo 3 was the best game that came out that year, right? Somebody say, what's your game of the year? I say, Halo 3. And they'd say, well, what? And <laughs> you then, almost broke your neck saying, Halo 3. I know, right? You guys could And then they'd say, like, um, and like if, if Josh had been, like, back then, we didn't know each other back then, if Josh had been like, well, what, what objectively is the best game of the year? I would have been like, I would have said Halo 3. Like, it would have just been simple to me because that's my mm-hmm. game. I don't know what changed in me, but, like, no part of me thinks that, because right now it's between Starfield and Final Fantasy 16 for my favorite game of the year. Neither of those games are the game of the year. It's 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 it's. I think it's Baldur's Gate three, but it's either Baldur's Gate three or Tears of the Kingdom. Only reason I say Tears of the Kingdom is because I feel that game's basically perfect. See, it's awesome that you say that, having played the game, you know, and you having not played that. But at the same time, I feel like when it comes to the awards show later this year, I feel like that's going to be the kind of situation where Starfield fans, as much as I I like them and I am one, even though I played four hours, I don't feel like they'll let they'll be willing to let that happen. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah. though it's going to happen, they're they're not in control of it, actually. I'm just saying, like, yeah. mentally and, and communicatively, when they talk to people, they're not going to be willing to let that go and let the fact that they... they and that happens every it. year, right? If your game doesn't win, you feel like it's rigged or it's bullshit. Right. Like, I remember when Last of Us Part 2 won, we ran a Halo Twitter, so everyone... You know, the crossover for, like, Halo diehards and... Uh, Last of Us fans are not that big, mm-hmm. so everyone was like, "Oh, this is rigged!" Like, you know, this is not. There wasn't actually a good game. I'm like, Last of Us Two is a really good game. It's like, so Baldur's Gate Fantastic. Three. If Baldur's Gate Three wins, like, this is what I'm saying. It's like I don't quite know how to articulate what changed in me because 
no matter what, I, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, but there's a good chance that even if I play Baldur's Gate 3 and love it, it's probably not going to be something I like as much as Starfield or, or Final Fantasy 16. Sure. But I'm still going to vote for Baldur's Gate 3 because I guess, like, for me as a really passionate nerd who likes to think they know something about the gaming industry, you look at Baldur's Gate 3 and it excites you for what it's been able to pull off and for what it does for gaming and how it can change the things going forward. And you want to celebrate that and you want to see more of that. So that's like, that's why I would cast my vote for Baldur's Gate three because, you know, I honestly, I can honestly say for all three, even tears of the king. Well, I would say final fantasy 16 and Starfield feel kind of like more of the same. Mm-hmm. And, while Zelda does feel like more of the same, I think where it gets a little leg up is like what they've done with the physics and mechanics in that game and how right. it flawlessly, seamlessly works across the open world mm-hmm. and you can do anything kind of mind-blowing. It really is kind of mind-blowing. So I think Zelda has an up there. But like so much of what we're used to nowadays as gamers is at best what we expect is something as good as what we've had before. That's usually what right. we expect. That's the base expectation. Want, yeah, we just want Halo Infinite to be as good as Halo 3. We just want um, Starfield to be as good as Skyrim. And that's already a high bar. Then you get something like Baldur's Gate 3 where it's better than that. You know, it's better than... If Baldur's Gate 3 had just been a competent follow-up to Baldur's Gate 2, I think that would have been acceptable. You know, like because sure. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were Bioware. This is a new studio. This is Larian. So it's like, if Larian can make the third one as good as the first two, people probably would have been happy. But mm-hmm. it's way better, arguably. I mean, I'm sure there's people who are fans of the original probably say those are better. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a Baldur's Gate fan, per se. But, like, Baldur's Gate 3 delivered so much more than that, you know? And and I, I just don't think you see that happen too often with... I mean, it's kind of like when Elden Ring came out, and it was like, oh, okay, it's going to be Dark Souls open world, but there's no way they're going to be able to have the good boss battles and the, the crafted encounters. And then you play Elden Ring and all of that was there. All the crafting encounters, all the boss battles. Like, it was pretty much non-compromising, mm-hmm. but open world. And, uh, yeah, so I think it deserves to be celebrated. And while I'll pass it back over to you, Josh, and maybe we can go into the actual game itself. I'm glad we had this discussion here because it kind of mirrors our Starfield discussion. Because if you remember, the first half of the podcast was about the reviews and the, mm-hmm. the score mm-hmm. controversies for that game. So oh, we kind of have a controversy for each game. I was cooking. Yeah. I was taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I thought that was going to make a pretty interesting opening discussion because, yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I like, you know, even if someone doesn't like this game or isn't interested in it, I still feel like you have to kind of respect what it's achieving with people and and uh, just the the sort of range it's got in a lot of its choices and, and agency it's giving you. And again, I'm going to get into that in a bit, but the fact that that's not something that has been done as well prior, you know, just make gives me hope. It gives me hope in a world uh, industry filled with microtransactions and constant like layoffs or this is getting acquired by this group and all this stuff. It's nice to just see a game come out that can be a landmark achievement, you know, mm-hmm. in the industry, you know, whether again, whether you like it or not. And, you know, thankfully, I love it. This game, uh, I've said before, I was deeply excited for after getting into Dungeons and Dragons. But I turned my blinders on because I knew it wasn't going to come out for a while. When they show that initial CG trailer for a game, you know it's going to be years before you actually get to play that game, you know, at this point. That's what I'm realizing at the time. So I went in the dark. It went into early access, and I didn't. I, I only used my laptop. So I knew I was not going to be able to get my hands on that. And I thought, well, I don't really want to play a chunk of the game, a good portion of it, 
and then upon release kind of have to replay that and yeah. only have like two thirds of it be fresh and new to me. So I was happy for other people to do that work for me, get their enjoyment. And then I would just play it. And now, you know, I would pray and hope it came to consoles and then I'd be able to play it in case in point. I am now when this came out in early access, I had a bit of anxiety the first night because I was reading online while I was at work that people were having issues signing into their Larian accounts, which I think I could be wrong, but I think you need to do in order to play co-op because it's just utilizing online features. Um, Also, uh, there was a big issue with HDR, a big issue with if you're using an audio headset, the audio would just pop out and it would be gone. And you'd have to like either reload, reboot the game up, something to that effect. I experienced a couple of those issues the first day when I was trying to play it. But thankfully, within I think it was three day early access, they got that patched and fixed mm. before, right around the time of launch. So it actually shipped well. And I was seeing people talk about how well this game launched, uh, you know, feature complete and everything like that. And I thought, well, you know, like they didn't experience that, but it was only for like a day or two. It really, really wasn't that bad. But uh, I didn't uh, it, it didn't derail me, but it did give me anxiety because I thought I've, I've I'm the guy that like gets fucked in the ass when it comes to getting hyped for video games. Whenever I get excited, something usually kind of backfires, like Cyberpunk did, you know, and it just doesn't land as well. Halo Infinite I was pumped for, and they did a staggered release. And I know most people would say, like, well, Josh, that's kind of the exception because the game actually what it is, the multiplayer, you know, the the campaign, it landed well. But for me, it was like, well, uh, the, Halo's never done that before. It's never done a staggered release. And by the time, uh, you know, the actual campaign came out, people were already kind of burnt out and they exhausted themselves on the season one content of Halo Infinite. Brian, you got See, jo- to Josh, say, Josh's go. luck. They'll, they'll reannounce KOTOR remake and they'll say that the developer backing it are the people that did like tie the Tasmanian Tiger for you know the game that's the Tasmanian Tiger really yeah yeah they'll, they'll be like, maybe like the the developers behind Ty the Tasmanian Tiger will be taking over KOTOR and then Josh will be held have this deadpan look on his face like why is it always me who gets screwed like why here's, here's what's interesting about that at this point because I'm able to play Boulder's Gate and have the experience I'm having with this game if the KOTOR remake never happens at this point I think I'm okay I told Brian this on the last podcast off the air and I think I mentioned this in the discord this is the only game that I've ever played that has the potential to take away the number one spot of my favorite game of all time. I don't think it's going to do it at all because KOTOR has got so much nostalgia attached. It's also a star Wars game, but this is the only game that I've ever really been able to already flirt around with that idea. What's your number two? Is it likely to pass that oblivion? It's, it's possible. Genuinely possible. Oblivion's where 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 are you feeling at this point in time? Where are you feeling most confident? It could slot like three, Three. Yeah. What's three? Would you know what your three is off the top of your head now? All right. mm, I think it's Toy Story Two: Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue. Oh, okay, <laughs> big hurdle there. Big hurdle. I mean, I really love that game, bro. Hey, I understand attachment, emotional. We attachment gotta save Woody, bro. Yeah, gotta save him. Gotta save him. He's not at Al's Toy Barn. He's at the airport, so, bro. Josh, I mean, <laughs> all the way to work on a Saturday. <laughs> all the way to work. Shout out to pray. Um, I, I could just go ahead and ask you some questions about Baldur's Gate 3 unless you yeah, had yeah. something repaired already. No, no, no. I mean, I got a lot of notes and stuff, but I mean, you go ahead. Yeah. Fire some away if you got Okay, well, what is – if you had to if you had to single out one aspect of just very singular, one aspect of Baldur's Gate 3 that you enjoy the most, what is it? Is it the combat, the music? Is it the dialogue? Is it the mocap? Is it the setting? Is it the dice rolls? Like, where? what's the first on the list of things you love about this game that – What's the top okay. of the top? I'm going to answer this, but I'm going to backtrack a little bit so I can okay. I can I can preface before I get into that. So, 
my favorite thing about it, and again, I'm going to backtrack with this, is the choice paralysis that it gives me. That's a new term for me. You know, I'm testing it out, but it is something I've never really had before on this level. And that started with me for, for me in character creation. I made a character and I went through the opening of the game. And then I thought, let me just go back. Let me go back a little bit. Now I'm going to, I'm going to make another character, see what they look like. And then I went through and I replayed that intro again. I did this like six more times. And every time I kept trying to figure out, you know, the character I wanted to stick with and I couldn't, I, the, oh, there's so many classes and then all oh, there's, there's all these different races, but then sub races within those. And then, you know, some face designs are sort of locked between each, you know, certain races and stuff. And they have all these hair options. The thing that's most interesting is they don't have sliders for your face. So for someone like you, Brian, I think this will be a very accessible character creation because you're not going to have to worry about like, like for me, I wanted a character who's got a bit bigger of a face, a little bit wider, like cheekbones and stuff, a jaw, you know, to more, to more accurately represent me, but it didn't have that. So you don't really have to think about that stuff as much, but they still do have a lot of options. And, you know, they also have, you know, they got your pronoun options. They have, you know, a couple different, like for, for male and female, they have two different builds. So like, regardless of the race you want to play, you have the option to be like, like a, a more like normal size dude, or then a more beefier, you know, beefcake type of dude. And same for the, for the girl. And, you know, just like cyberpunk, you can choose your genitalia and stuff like that. And as I was going through it with a guy, you know, I forgot, I didn't like select the pro the pronoun or anything. So as I kind of got to the end and I'm, I'm going through that and the, the last choice you have for the creation is the genitalia. I just looked down there and my character has a vagina and I was like, Ooh, what vulva, that vulva, you know, I was like, interesting, you know, and I, I swapped it around and everything like that. And I don't know if that's going to come into the game because in cyberpunk, it never really did, but yeah. case in point, like it's got a lot of options in there and it was really, really fun, but it took me forever to decide on a character. I would make a character and then I would think, Oh, but uh, I don't like his build. He's he's too 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 beefy looking. Or oh, I should have added a scar here. And I just kept going back. And I thought, Phew. so five hours. It's just the, the game, character creation. Yeah, the five hours of the game were me just trying to decide on a character and a class and just flirting around with that. I ended up with the dude. Uh, he's a Seldarine Drow. He's got like blue, kind of darkish, pale skin, white hair, because that's usually what his species has. He's a bard, so he's more of an entertainer. In combat, he does a lot of buffing and debuffing, trying to help teammates, trying to weaken opponents. Um, and I named him Starkiss. He kind of he's got some some face paint on his face, so I took a little inspiration from you know a little bit of D and D stuff, but also Captain Planet. You know, Kiss the Bane. Does look like a Captain Planet. Yeah. And then so one of my buddies <laughs> hit me up on Instagram and said Dazzler from X Men, and I was like, I went and googled Dazzler because I forgot what she looked like, and I was like, Oh my god, you're right. Close. Totally yeah. looks like Dazzler, but yeah. Uh, going into the, the the story stuff, though, again, to, to kind of get into that, it's just the opportunity of choice and the way they give you freedom with that, the agency they give you with that. No two playthroughs will truly ever be the same. And you've heard that before. How many times on stage at E3s in the past? But the, the great thing about it is just that when you're in conversations, for example, you know, when you play Mass Effect, you play Dragon Age, a lot of similar games that have the party member system and you're going questing and stuff or, or the morale system where characters will approve or disapprove when you played games like that before, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but a lot of times, regardless if I'm going to be, you know, good or bad, 
I usually try to exhaust every conversation option before I pick the one that seems like it's going to take me to the next tier. Like it's going to carry the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. This game doesn't exactly do that. And I kind of learned that right away. So it really forces a lot of role play because sometimes I'm choosing things. I'm asking questions. Well, then the conversation just ends. Some some things you ask or some things it's not you like talk Bethesda about, games. No, the conversation is like here. Exhaust just, the bottom four options, and then one of the top two will. Yeah, it's over. almost like certain questions are more like side quest options, and yeah. then you have a question, or a question or a comment that's more yeah. of a main quest. It advances it forward, and sometimes it's just all of them are going to do that, and you only really pick one, but they don't tell you that. But that makes it really fun because I'm really forced to get in the headspace of my character and I have to think, well, I don't know which one of these is going to continue it forward. I'm not metagaming in that sense now. So I'm thinking, you know, what Sarkis, what would he actually say here in case I don't get another chance to ask this or say this? That's really cool. I really, really like that. And also just so for you guys that have played D&D, for those of you that haven't, uh, when you are, <laughs> this is so cool, when you are playing the game, a narrator is commenting on everything you do. I do love so that. You may be going up to a pod, like a pool of, of, let's say, water, and you're just going up to investigate. In something like Dragon Age Origins, you'd see text pop up, and it kind of describes what, what's happening. A narrator in this game is actually commenting on what you do. Suddenly, a couple options pop up. What do you want to do with this pool? You know, And then you might see lean in to investigate. You might get the option to walk away, you know, something like that. Well, suddenly I hit the option to investigate and dice pops up, a D20 pops up just like a tabletop and you roll it. And based off your stat modifiers and everything, you might get some bonuses. You may get some, uh, some in the opposite. Yeah. But you get to roll that and it'll tell you the difficulty check. And in Dungeons and Dragons, what that means is to pass the check, you have to hit this base number or higher, but you can't go any lower. If you hit any lower than this number, say it's a 10, 9 or lower, it's a fail. If you at least hit 10, then you pass. You succeed on the roll. So let's say I hit 11. I succeed. The narrator starts narrating again, telling me, like, as you lean in, you know, a strange odor emits, you know, seeping into your nostrils, blah, 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 you know, and it really pushes the narrative forward, especially for your character that isn't voiced. Your character only really talks sort of out of combat, like when you're actually traveling around, they'll comment on some stuff, like when you're interacting, but that's really the only time they talk. Uh, but that's, that's, I mean, to answer your question, that's really one of my favorite things about it. It's just the, the player agency, the freedom you're getting with that. And obviously with the quest, I mean, y- you do get some similarities to like something like Mass Effect or Dragon Age where you can just straight up kill a party member. Uh, my coworker, Steve, shout out to him. He has been, we have been talking about this game so much um, as he's playing through it. And he was telling me one of the characters he killed right away. So anything I've tried to talk to him about that character with, he's like, I don't, I haven't even experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all those options if you want to kill characters, um, if you want to leave certain things behind. Uh, That does seem like the standout trait for most people is the decision making mm -hmm. and the choices. Because like, like you said, most AAA games, I mean, there are AAA games do a really good job of it. I think Bioware and Bethesda do a good job of it. But at the end of the day, it usually comes down to. Do you want to be angry at this person or do you want to be happy with this person or do you want to somewhere be in the middle? And it all usually comes down to just a couple different shades where it seems like Baldur's Gate 3 is like, here's 176,000 different permutations that all come together and make the final ending of this game. You know, the side quests in this game are next level. 
there is no just I, I can't tell sometimes unless i'm looking in my mission log what is actually a main quest and what's not they're all you guys remember when you're playing mass effect one or two dragon age origins like definitely not inquisition or andromeda but when you talk to anybody and it just kind of has a more cinematic feel characters are emoting <laughs> definitely not like andromeda yeah <laughs> I agree, but I can feel the salt there. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a tiny bit. I agree. Uh, yeah. This is what I love. It makes everything feel like it matters, and it yeah. makes me feel like I don't want to skip any of it. When I would play something like Inquisition or Intromeda, as much as I enjoy those games for what they are, the camera just sort of zooming in on a static character standing still, giving me a fetch quest, was really disappointing and really bummed me out because part of what's fun about these side quests, why do we do them? It's to build up the world more, to, to understand the lore more, to, to make the world feel lived in and feel like it matters and we're making a difference, whatever we do. But in this one, they actually have all that mocap. The mocap is insane. I've never seen it this good in an RPG game. I've showed Brian some clips on Discord, but characters are generally, they'll take one of their fingers, wriggle it around. If, you know, they'll lean down. It'll The camera will cut up close to their eyes as it narrows, gazing at you. You know, I mean, all those type of things you want are there. It genuinely feels like you're watching a movie, but taking a, a part yeah, the of it. And, the mocap's impressive. Yeah. And, and it, I think that, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. ahead. I want to hear Well, I'm just going to say, I think that like, I, I'm of the opinion that, I'm not trying to bring Starfield into this, but I'm not. I'm of the opinion it doesn't matter to me, and I'm very happy with how it is. But like, you can see how like your your general kind of basic gamer out there who just mm-hmm. kind of doesn't really doesn't really nerd out online through forums and stuff. If you look at like a Starfield animation, and you look at like a Dragon Age animation, or you even look at, or I'm sorry, not Dragon Age. You look at that. I just call in Baldur's Gate Dragon Age, <laughs> but they're very similar. Um, that and Dragon Age Origins specifically. Origins, yeah, one hundred percent. But if you look at like you know you look at like a Last of Us uh, or a God of War type mocap or you look at Baldur's Gate 3 mocap mm-hmm. and of course Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield came out essentially at the same time you can see how like someone who doesn't really know because like what we know as gamers that are listening here is different studios go for different things I don't detract from Starfield at all for their facial animations but like you can see how in 2023 two rival RPGs kind of coming out similar time the mocap is so impressive in something like Baldur's Gate 3, whereas in Bethesda, they're kind of in that same, it's not mocap, it's like computer, it's like they animated, self-animated themselves or automated sure. through, you know, and uh, so I think, I think like, even though we can say, well, this game wasn't going for that and this one was, things like the mocap in Baldur's Gate 3 are objectively standouts, right? Like, I actually... I actually looked up Baldur's Gate 3 early access gameplay years ago because I thought or because I thought I saw the cinematics, I saw the mocap and stuff and I thought this game looks this looks like a BioWare game. This looks like something I would really love. Mm-hmm. This was like 2 or 3 years ago and then I looked at it and I I saw that it was the combat that it was and I, I lost interest because <laughs> it's just cuz it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Well then of course, you know, a couple years year or so later Josh is like talking about Baldur's Gate 3 all the time and like I can remember me briefly looking into it because I saw like the, the quality bar that was there. It was just, I was obviously just thrown off by that, by the combat. But sure. if I haven't iterated before, I'll iterate it again. I, I don't, I have no issues with the combat objectively. It's just like my preferences. It's, it's hard for me to get behind. I understand. The, I and the thing is like even turn-based I've come around to a little bit more, but it seems that Baldur's Gate 3 is deeper and more tactical, which it makes is. it even, even harder for me. It's a barrier but, to uh, entry in yeah. some ways. I, I made a few notes for that, but uh, one thing that's actually really cool, that's really, really different, is the story is not solely focused on your character being the protagonist. Like, in a loose sense, yes, you're still the main character. 
there are going to be elements that just focus on your character at times. But for an example, guys, this is where some of the choice paralysis comes into. I was out adventuring with a couple people in my squad and I come upon two characters that are arguing about someone they have suspended in a cage. And I'm like, oh, how do I want to approach this? Well, I switch over to this character named Asterion, who's a rogue that I have in my group. Really good at sneaking and everything. I'm sneaking up there. And, and you, what's cool, too, is just like in Dragon Age, you can kind of split the party up. So, like, if you just want to have one person kind of sneak ahead, the other stay back. You can do that. If you don't, if you want to have them all roll into together, you can. But I just have him sneak up. And when I get up there, I get close enough. I fail a sneak check. It goes into a conversation. But in other games, even though I'm playing as that character, it typically would revert to my character just sort of teleporting there and my character being in the conversation. It's not. They're talking to Asterion. When I get dialogue choices, it's Asterion who has mm-hmm. to make those choices. And when I'm going to, if I'm going to make something that's like a persuasion, you know, type of dialogue his choice, version, his persuasion. he has to roll and it's based off his stats. And I characters are going to comment on him. So, like his race, you know, or my race being a drow. You know, they're going to have those specific things, just like in Mass Effect, for example, when they would comment on some of your backgrounds and stuff like that. So and I got interested when this moment happened because I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to save it, but I'm going to reload and I'm going to go back and I'm going to try it with my guy. So I went back. I took the whole party chugging up there. We were tooting up and down. We got up there and yeah, they're talking to me, talking to me. and I'm a drow and I was able to persuade them down. The conversation options were a little bit similar, but the fact that the focus was now on me you know, yeah. just really goes to show how much fun this is going to be. And the and little things like that take way more effort, you know, and but it adds so much to the to the world. It really does. And why this is cool, too. And High Potion did a great job talking about the co-op aspect of this, particularly, I thought. So if you guys want to hear more about it, go listen to them for that one. The cool thing is, too, is if you're playing this with friends, even the for, even though the first player uh, is the first player, they're not necessarily the main character. You can have four-player co-op with the whole squad of created characters that are not the, you know, already pre-made characters that are going to be your companions. You can roll in with a squad of created characters. And let's say Brian's player number one, and he goes up and talks to that person. I'll be able to listen into that conversation. I can't cooperatively like participate in the same conversation, but what I can do is I can listen. I can lean in and listen. However, Brian could be off fighting somebody and I'm over talking to somebody in the same town, just a little bit over. So he might miss out on that. I might miss out on what he's doing. But in that way, you're all still getting to be the main characters because that's what D&D is supposed to be. There's never a focus on one person. It's the group adventure together that you get to celebrate. I saw a clip on Reddit recently where there's a character named Shadowheart. And the, the one player character is having this really heartfelt conversation with her and she's pouring her heart out. And there's a dragonborn dude fucking shredding a, a guitar basically in the background. That's another player. And you just, you know, it's the, the things you see that makes see, the, the experience. So that fun. stuff's incredible to me because that that's the kind of stuff that as a gamer who plays games all the time and you see all the different variations of designs and RPGs, mm-hmm. you get to thinking that it's not possible to have a game with four-player co-op where people are talking to NPCs here while someone's fighting here and it all goes together or having persuasion based on that particular character that went up to talk to them instead of the... You always think that thing's not possible because usually they don't do that in games. Right. And usually the only time I can ever remember like you being able to like talk to someone while I'm in combat is like an MMO. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and like an MMO is like it's nothing, you know, no hate to MMOs, but it's a different type of thing. This is a hardcore single player CRPG that allows you to have that fighting here while someone's talking at the same time. Yeah. I feel like I've never seen that before. And up to no. four players that can do this stuff, like uh, to me, it's just kind of revolutionary in gaming. Absolutely. And I think what makes that fun is, for example, if, you know, a lot of the characters that are out there in the world, you can have conversations with. So, again, Choice paralysis comes in. Do I just want to attack this person? I'm at a, I'm on a perched on a ledge where I have advantage. If I shoot him with an arrow, I'm going to do, uh, you know, I'm going to roll with advantage for my damage. Or do I want to go in and talk and just see what the content is there? You can always sit there and co-op and say, Brian, why don't you go up high since you're an R- you're a ranger? Sit up there. I'm going to go in and talk to this person since I'm a fighter. I'll get in close with them. We'll see what happens. And then if it goes into combat, you're still there in that position. You know, and especially on something like split screen, you can just watch what the other person's doing. Of course, online, that's different, but very, very cool and really helps make the combat a lot of fun. Uh, I had a moment uh, again where I was walking up with my group. There were these two dudes talking about how they found, I think, like a shipwreck or something. And, you know, it was their score and they were all excited. And I was like, hey, guys, I'm Starkiss. And they, right away they were like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? Go away. This is our place. You know, this is our territory. And I tried to persuade them out of it and it went right into combat and they had some buddies kind of around with them in this sort of chapel area. And I thought, fuck. So I reloaded. I was like, I want to see what happens when I just waltz in there alone. And I'm, but before I do that, I'm going to split off my party and I'm going to try to get them in some advantageous positions. So if I fail this role again and we go into combat, I'm at least set up pretty good. You know, and again, it makes that role playing chance awesome because usually when you're playing tabletop, you're saying, you know, the DM will say "Uh, about 30 feet away. You hear, you know, three distinct voices talking to one another. Sounds like they're arguing. What do you want to do? And the players will sit there and discuss amongst themselves like I want to sneak or I want to do this or whatever. It kind of creates a scenario in co-op where it's like, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to go and talk to him or I'll go up and talk to him or this other player is like, "Uh, I just shoot my arrow. Sorry, guys. Combat, you know. It really makes it really makes it cool. Uh, I've heard I've heard actual D, which you are one as well yourself. I've heard other actual D and D players say this is the only video game they've ever played that actually takes that D and D experience and puts it to video it feels, game form. It feels legit. They they change some things, but it's very minute. But in that thing, I had the persuasion check roll well. I told them like, "Hey guys, uh, this is bad juju. You guys don't want any of this stuff. Go away." And they're like, oh, shit, you're right. Let's go. Let's get out of here. They left. Well, then there's a door. And I went down to the door and I heard a voice on the other side. And I said, hey, just so you know, your friends all abandoned you. And the voice on the other side of the door said to me, well, hey, I got some friends inside. Come on in. And then we had a big schmo down. We threw down and had a big mm-hmm. battle. It was just really cool because that could have gone so differently. Sounds awesome. Uh, another thing that was awesome. I'm going up to this one area outside of town, ta- outside of a town. And there's a little campfire. There's some like roast mutton, something right there being cooked in it is a dagger. This narrator's telling me, you know, it looks really interesting. looks very cool. And you get the option, you know, you want to lean in and inspect it a little bit closer. Seems like it'd be pretty hard to pull out. That's what she said. But then, then I'm like, well, you know, and I'm only up there as my character Starkiss. I'm like, well, I'm going to try to use a strength check to try to pull it out. As I try to pull it out, it snaps and breaks. I could have got a really good weapon, and now I lost my opportunity to. Now, I could have reloaded, and I could have took another character who maybe had higher strength, my fighter named Lizelle, 
And I could have used her to go up there to try to pull it herself using her strength. That's very, very high. But again, the fact that like I'm, I'm locked out of that and it's just a minute moment plays no consequence on the overall plot is amazing. And what's also cool about that is something else that was around that area. I'm in this area and I hear at this barn, there's this big booming going on. I'm like, what is going on? Are some people like dancing in there? What's going on? I go and knock and I, you know, they're like, go away or something like that. I open the door and let's just say it's two races smashing, clapping cheeks. And they're mad at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep on with the lovemaking. I'm going to go. And they, we went into combat and they try to attack me. Well, then there are certain things you can do in the game. Uh, there's an option called speak with the dead. You can never do this. Like you don't, you don't have to do this. It's just an option in the game. But if you want to get more info on an area like that area, I, I, I kill those characters. And then I cast this spell called speak with the dead. It raises this character from the dead. And I was able to ask them five questions. What are you doing here? You know, what, what's going on? Uh, do you have any gold? You know, what do you have on you? You can ask those sort of questions and also you can get clued in to a quest you're on, get more information. It's an extra way to achieve more opportunity for things. And another great example of this is there's a spell called animal speaking. There are, the game is littered with animals and you can go up and talk to them. Now I can go up and talk to a dog and the dog's just going to bark at me and I can choose to pet it if I want. I can try to, I can try to get insight into like its body language and see what's wrong or what's going on good with it. But if I have the animal speaking, it will talk to me like a human and a whole different conversation happens. It will speak English to me and I'll be able to gain way more insight. Completely changes how you play. I mean, it's just so different in that sense. Because the attention, the attention to detail seems on another level in that game. I, I actually read uh, someone wrote an article about using that dead speak uh, on a quest before, where they had, like they had done a quest where like some guy asked them to go like investigate a house, mm-hmm. and they went and investigated the house, and there was someone dead in there, and then they came back out and finished the quest, and then they were like, "Wait a minute, I wonder what would happen if I reloaded this, yeah, and used dead speak on the corpse inside, and it just changed the whole quest." Yep. Because once they learned what the person said, I'm like, that shit's amazing. And the reason why that causes choice paralysis is because there's no real right way to sort of do anything. It's like if you just want to be that goody two shoes, which my character kind of is, and you just want to have all the right decisions and all of it go well, it's just not always going to go that way because it's all up to the rolls. So you're kind of letting fate rest on the dice roll and some of your modifiers that can help or hinder that. It's kind of like real life. I mean, yeah. even if you try to be a good person in real life, sometimes you say something to someone, it pisses them off, and you're like, Wow, I did not mm-hmm. want that reaction from you, but you know, like if you tell someone that they're, you know, that they're, I don't know, their shoes are have Velcro on them. I, I, what the hell am I saying? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. <laughs> like I, I, I went to like I've, I've I've said something like I remember like I'll, I'll tell someone like oh like oh you're fifty, you look like you're man. I thought I didn't even know if you were forty. I mean I know your hair's gray, but you know you're, you look you look younger. And then they're like upset that I said their hair was gray, and I'm like, well, I wish I could reload. I thought that yeah, I wish I could reload because I <laughs> thought the fact that I said that you looked younger would have made you happy, but yeah. the fact that I drew attention to your gray hair made you feel bad. And now now I now it's like it's like in a video game. It's always like in a video game where you're like, you know, the the dialogue options like I don't feel like doing that, so you click it. Yeah, and then, and then Shepard's like. I'm not doing that, you piece of shit. And you're like, what? No, I didn't. No, right. I, I just, I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah. What? 
the game has a pretty good autosave, but you're still going to want to save frequently because of that type of stuff. You know, if you're someone that's going to obsess over that, like, oh, shit, I really messed up bad or I didn't get I didn't gain that really consequential piece of information that I really needed from this person, you know, then then you're going to want to reload that stuff and go back and you're going to do it numerous times. Uh, talking about the combat, what's cool about this and regarding D&D, it's something that I think is to the benefit of this game is although it uses the D&D 5e rule set. The only time that's really going to be something that's in your face is when the dice roll pops up. So, for example, like in tabletop, you would the dungeon master calls for initiative and you all roll your dice. Whoever gets the highest number, you know, goes first in the turn order in combat. It just does that for you. A lot of this stuff is happening in the background when you're choosing to attack somebody. You make the choice, but then the dice you know, roll happens and you're not seeing it. It's just more of an invisible thing going on in the background. It's really nice. So people that uh, don't really like math like I don't. <laughs> Uh, you're not going to have to worry about a lot of that stuff uh, rewards you for being smart, which is something I really appreciate. You said something the other day, Brian, about I and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like you said it really well, too. But when you play real time combat and stuff like that, it's sort of like going outside and playing recess. You know, it just feels really rewarding. And then when you play turn based, it's almost like you're in like math class or something and you're having or you're taking a quiz and you you feel you feel a different sense of success from it. Yeah, right? it's like what? Yeah, it's like when yeah, because like when I'm when I'm doing just like uh, action combat, I'm kind of just going out there, mashing the buttons, seeing the flashy moves, feeling really good about it, having a great time, kind of like recess. But when I'm right. playing a turn-based or a tactical game, it's like okay, there's multiple ways to approach this. I can take my time, figure out what the best move is, and then if you do the best move, it feels like you're taking like a math test and you're just acing all of the all of the diagrams, all of the fractions, everything just kind of like oh. <laughs> This fits, this fits, this fits. It's like, oh, wait, if my rogue went here and got behind this guy and then I had my archer elevated here and then I had the bard who's good at persuasion talk this guy out of doing this thing and then I'll give room mm-hmm. for this guy to come in. And then when it all comes and works together, it feels really good. It's like actually the, the, the most recent thing I can think of for myself was playing Final Fantasy XII, uh, the Zodiac Age, because it has this thing called the Gambit system, which I told Josh about. It's very similar to Dragon Age Origins where you get to select auto auto select what your character will do if this thing happens so it's like i want my i want balthier to attack this guy if his health b- falls below 25 percent mm-hmm. um but i don't want him to heal anybody and you have all these you get to set up all these um what ifs things that'll happen and then you take so like when i was playing final fantasy 12 i take my party in I die because this guy was poisoning me and this person um, was blocking my spell or whatever. So I die. Well, then I go back to the, I go back, I restart or reload. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure that anytime poison is casted, this person puts an antidote, knocks that out. Mm -hmm. And if anybody tries to debuff me, this character will block the debuff. And then I also know that character is weak to fire. So I'll have this character specifically use fire on the week. And then when you go in, it's just like this well-oiled machine. It's like boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's like you solve the math problem. And it's mm-hmm. like the endorphins. And I guess that's the thing. Is like when I'm playing like Final Fantasy 16, which is like action-based, it's like XX circle, right trigger. And it's just like little endorphin, little endorphin, little endorphin, little endorphin. When I play, for me, when I play like a turn-based or an RPG, or mm-hmm. a turn-based or a tactical, it's kind of like I go in, there's no endorphins. I kind of pick what I want, no endorphins. But then once I execute... If you execute properly, it's like one giant endorphin, and you're just like, "That felt good. I like that. Felt real good. I like that. I like. I like to do it again." 
you know? So for sure, for sure. I had a moment when I was playing it where I it was just it was early on, it was me and one other character, and she was more of an up close type person. And I was I, I'm more of a bard, so I'm staying back. I can use a bow and arrow, I can use a sword if I need to, but I'm more staying back. And I was stealthing on these little like creatures. They're like brains with a you know little arms and, and legs. Very creepy and gross. I saw I saw I watched gameplay that that part looked awesome. Yeah, pulling out of the skull. Oh, that looks so cool. So that's the beginning of the game, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that part was, but this part I'm that talking part. about was in this combat scenario. She's up close to these little things. I had snuck up. I had taken a couple others out. And I thought, ah, this is going to be easy. Well, they start putting a beat down on her and she's really low on health. And this is early in the game. The game can be punishing if you let it be. Well, I'm like, oh, shit, what do I want to do? So I'm sitting there flipping through my options and I'm thinking, what can I do? Like, yeah, I could shoot one with an arrow. I could take it out. But then the other one was still there. And that other one's going to get a chance to attack her and maybe take her out. Then I realized I got a spell called sleep and I can target up to three creatures under a certain limit of health points. And I'm like, oh, I could knock them out. Like I could basically put them to sleep and then they would get no turns for like 10 turns in the combat. I did that. It succeeded. They went to sleep. Whack, whack. They're dead. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then I had another time. I had another time. This was the most amazing point for me in the game so far. I'm down in this dank, dark cavern. And I'm going to skip all the plot details, but I come upon this big mama matriarch spider. This thing is massive, like 150 health points. And I'm like, oh, shit, I want to take this thing out. I saved my game before just in case. And I'm thinking it gets to a point. I've slayed some other spiders, some lesser spiders in that area. And I'm like, oh, we got this. All four of us, it's only going to get one turn. Yeah, maybe it'll do some damage, but all four of us, <laughs> no problem. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Suddenly, this big spider is like, oh, you want to fuck on me? You want to fuck on me? It goes and it wakes up all these little hatchlings out of their egg sacs. And they start dashing over. And I'm like, oh, what did I just get myself into? I'm going to play this out. We're getting beaten and battered, but we're just, but we're also giving it back to them. And at the same time, I'm kind of chipping away at this big mama matriarch. And it gets to a point where I've killed all the hatchling. It's just down to her, but she's got like 70-something uh, points of health left. And around this cavernous area are these little bridges, these makeshift bridges made out of webbing. And she goes, she runs off in the distance and crawls over onto one to sort of like prepare to shoot what I'm assuming is like acid or something at me in her turn. And it's up to Starkiss's turn. And I'm like, what can I do? I have a lot of stuff in my inventory. What can I do that's going to like make an impact and potentially debuff her? Like I can't do a lot of damage as my character with like a bow and arrow, but what could I do that would like, to buffer so the next person isn't going to get super screwed and then i realized i bought a long time ago i bought this thing called arrow of roaring thunder it says it causes knockback i'm like oh fuck let's see what this does i shoot it it does 12 points of damage the arrow just hitting the spider but proceeds to knock her off that bridge sails her falling down causing 49 points of damage total 61 oh, points of damage amazing and I'm like, Almost oh, she's didn't. down to 12 points of health at this yeah. point. And I was like, yo, I was like, that's why you don't fuck with me. That's why I'm the best. I'm like, go. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I was getting out of my chair, just hyped. And I felt so rewarded for that. She climbed up. We finished her off. But it was just such a great moment. And I thought, that's really, really cool. Another thing it was that's thought, on, It was thinking that got you there, though. Yeah. It was the and thought. so much of it felt yeah. clumsy in that battle because I had everyone so huddled together. I couldn't really get separated. And I was scared to because if a character goes down, if you leave them down for like three combat rounds and they fail what these like roles that are happening in the background, they're dead. 
and you can go eventually in the game and you can get them like re you know you can bring them back to life but that can be a process so another thing you can do is you can go up and just press a button to revive them you know like they're not screaming out revive me like cole but you can go up and pick them up they'll go they'll get like one health point and you know then they're back in the game so i try to keep everyone together but we were getting attacked so bad too so that moment was just a rock good feel good moment for me but another thing that's cool about this with the agency is for example certain things in your inventory you can you can do if you think you can do it in this game you can probably do it a good example being uh, my friend steve at work he took he had like a i think he said a dead rat in his inventory and he was like oh i got a dead rat in here what the hell he's playing co-op he threw it at one of his buddies now for example things you would normally pick up you think oh this is just junk that i'm going to sell like candles mm-hmm. mm, let's say uh, one of my other characters, let's say I'm playing in co-op and Brian's got a flask of oil. He throws that on the ground, gets to my turn. I got a candle. If I throw that at that, it's going to light it on fire. Massive at, fire damage. Yeah. A person in their inventory had a ton of, they were standing over one of these like uh, this the flat, like an oil, oil pit basically. And they were just going through the inventory. You know, they were over encumbered. They're sifting through stuff. They drop a bunch of candles they had. They go out of the menu. <laughs> big explosion pretty freaking cool also like you know you can throw health potions so like if brian's character in co-op is down and i can't reach him like my movement i'm too far away to actually go up and pick him up i can take one of my health potions and i can chuck it at him and he's going to come back to life as long as there's not a dice roll for me catching it because it's like (laughs) no there's not (laughs) no there's not but um another thing too that was really cool uh steve mentioned was i think there was a part in the one of his dialogue choices where he got an option that was basically stating that he had learned this information in a book he had previously read. So if you hadn't read it, you didn't get that option. There are books in there that you can read similar to Skyrim, not quite to the level of detail, but you'll still see a lot of books that you can gain information on, help build out the world and help give you some answers, do some environmental storytelling. That's really, really fun. Uh, That part I really, really loved. Um, but the, yeah, the combat is just super fun. It does take time. It's got a little bit of a barrier to entry because you're having a lot of different spells and, and abilities and taking time to learn those can be a bit uh, tough if you've not played D&D before and trying to grasp that. But for you guys that are like Brian and you just you really want to play this game, but you're also not as interested in that. They got you covered. They got uh, three difficulties and one of them is just a much easier mode that's focused on storytelling uh, if, and to my understanding, characters are much harder. Y- your characters, your party is much harder to be killed. Your your armor class goes up, which means basically like if an enemy's trying to shoot you, they have to basically roll an invisible dice. And if it hits that, if it doesn't hit that number, then their attack just misses. They have to at least hit that. And then they're rolling another dice. Invisibly. Yeah, I like to hear this because I actually read online that the uh, Explorer mode was not much easier than balanced. It's still going to be tough. The game still has a lot of boss fights in there that are designed to be punishing. But you're still going to the the, the you're, it's harder to kill. Uh, your AC class is higher. Enemies are just easier to hit and stuff like that. So a lot of the percentages is I hear I heard that they they don't think as smartly either. Right. They're less likely to yeah. do something to screw you over. They definitely don't play as smart. And it's not like a case of XCOM, thankfully, where like, I, th- I think Steve might have mentioned this in, in High Potion, but in XCOM, it would say you have it like a 99% chance to hit and then you miss. And it's like, that's XCOM, baby. That's how it goes. But this game is a, is a little bit more uh, complimentary to you with that type of stuff. Uh, the, the music, 
some of the best music I've ever heard. When you go into character creation, you hear this voice say, who are you? And this beautiful, tranquil music kicks in as you're going through the character creation, selecting your race, getting a better idea of, of what kind of character you want to be. It's beautiful. There's also a lot of great ambiance. I've listened to this on the, with headphones on and off, and it's just beautiful. I'm only in act one. I've played about 30 hours, and sometimes I'm just sitting there. Uh, I literally will get up, stand, and just think about in turn-based combat, like, what do I want to do? I'll get up, and I'll go let Chewie outside for a little potty break. I'll think about what I want to do. I come back, or I'm in, sifting in my inventory, and I'm hearing the ambient music in the background or just the nature sounds. It's beautiful. It's very relaxing, very peaceful game. Uh, not high stress despite the turn-based combat. But uh, going into the cons before I close out with my final thoughts, uh, there's just two things. And one is one I already mentioned. Uh, the combat can just be a tough barrier to entry for people that are not as initiated. Flo's not initiated, but I am initiated. Uh, it's 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 not too hard, but at the same time, there's, there's a little bit of a learning curve. And I could see where that can put people off like like for you, Brian, for example, I could see that being a bit frustrating, not because it's your respect. I know you're going to play it. You're going to give it all a try and everything. But some of it, you know, you're, you might not necessarily want to have to think about like, oh, I can throw the candle here. Or, oh, I should equip my blade with poison before going into this battle, all that type of stuff. But it's still at the same time, there's tutorial stuff that'll help teach you. And um, there's a lot of stuff you can avoid if you want to. You can talk your way out of a lot of stuff if your roles are successful enough. And that's just the fun and the agency they give you and the options. So like there is a whole town of goblins and everything I've read, everything I've seen, people more often than not just slay those goblins. I talked him down. I was like, hey, my bard, let me sing you a jaunty little tune about your group. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, hey, oh, hey, oh. And I, and I, 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 was, I was successful. What's the Goblin King could sing like in The Hobbit, like down, down, down in Goblin, Goblin Town. Town. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, they were like, that's pretty good. I like that shit. When's that coming out on Spotify? So I got to go through the town and... I got to do what I wanted, basically. And they were just bitching to each other throughout the whole time while I was there. And I was like, huh, do it. I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to fight them all because they're goblins. For my character, I'm like, you know what? He doesn't approve of this. But you know what? For now, I got to go roam around and do what I wanted. And uh, that's fun. But yeah, uh, another thing that's that's the con is just the inventory management. And I think it is a, a, a good con. Like, And I say good is in this, like, it's, it's a problem. Hmm. I've heard for Larian, this is never really a good thing, but it's very, you know, kind of like Fallout, kind of kind of like uh, a lot of games where you're able to loot a lot of stuff as you explore. You're going to get over encumbered pretty fast. You can sell all of it, which I, you know, I would recommend and like loot everything, sell everything. You want to get that gold. You want to be buying a lot of stuff with vendors. There's a lot of great options in there of what you can get, but it is so tough to sift through. You do have options like oh, I want to sort this by the newest items I've gotten or the oldest or gear only equipment items, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But it's just so tedious and very time consuming, especially when you're getting over encumbered. And like for my character, I'm spending a lot of time sometimes making a note. You can make a little note of like, oh, I want to add this to my wares so I can remind myself to sell this to a vendor later. Like, this is a vendor item. This is something I want to keep. You can send stuff to your camp. That's another thing, too, Brian. Um, you'll get the option to, like, full have a full rest, what they call a long rest. And you go to what you go to your camp. You have a camp that's kind of out there. 
And reminds me of Dragon Age Origins. Yes, it's just like that. So when you go to your camp, you know, if you have enough food, you have to have enough food, which you can get pretty easily as long as you're looting. You can take a long rest. But that is how you get a lot of companion dialogue, interesting conversations, romance stuff advancing, a lot of backgrounds for characters. So you're going to want to go and have those long rests and you can take them as many times as you like, as long as you have enough food, you know. So that's another option to advance the story forward, you know, talking to your characters. But the inventory management aspect does take time away from actual gameplay and playing because I'm constantly having to sift through what I want to sell, what I can offload to another person if I'm over encumbered. Um, what I want to equip, what I want to have, what I want this what person it's to have. It's a hard one for games to get right. I'm sure there is a game that's really it good is. inventory management, but I can't think of one. Like, of I can't really necessarily give this game a certain score. Like, Fun Factor, it's a 10 out of 10. It's 11 out of 10 for me. It's that good. And the inventory stuff I've gotten used to, and I like it because it's anal, and I love anal, so I'm fine with it. But at the same time, for for a lot of people, it's, it's going to be frustrating and just annoying at the same time. But I, my you final know. question to you was going to be if you ha- it makes no sense because you haven't played even half the game. But like if you had to give the game a score right now, what would you? It's do? eleven out of ten. I mean, the concept 11, of the story eleven is, out of ten. Yeah, you heard it. The, the story is you know you get a parasite put in you, and within a certain amount of time, you're going to turn into this other being. But the game is not actually putting that timetable on you, and you have yeah. to deal with that. It's just a background motivation for your characters and and your group the mind is going, player, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the whole group is going through that. They're all in that same situation. You're sort of all coming together by chance because you're all experiencing this at the same time. And there's three acts. Like I said, I am 30 hours in and I feel like I barely scratched the surface of act one. But so much of it is story content. There's a lot of me just exploring on the roads and I come by chance of characters. Um, There's there's a lot of part of the main quest in act one is you chasing down a lot of leads and as far as I've understood, like you can explore each one of those in the main quest sense without sort of one of those canceling the other out. Very cool in that way. And just really, really fun. Uh, you know, I, I I think the fact, like I said, like with, with Witcher setting sort of a precedent for like side quests moving forward. I don't, uh, you know, I think this game will be a landmark in that sense of not just it's like being another game that does the side quest just as well in the same level of main quest. Like if you're going to play the game. Don't skip those. Like if you get a chance to talk to somebody or interact, do it because that's part of the fun. Yeah. There's no lesser quality being given, but at the same time, I don't think this is necessarily going to be the kind of game where you see all these other industry people in the industry going, Oh oh shit, we got to reassemble. We got to, you know, reform and and re, you know, analyze how we're going to attempt our game. Now I, I don't, I think it's another lightning in the bottle moment, but that's all the more reason why Witcher three has the legacy. It does. And I think that's all the more reason why this will have the legacy. It does is because of that. It's a beautiful game, remarkable score to accompany you traveling with your players. The companions are very likable. They all have a different sense of personality to them with backstories that you get to explore, just like in other RPGs. The combat is richly rewarding when you're able to take the time and, and, and you can enjoy it. It'll make you feel smart. Other times it'll make you feel dumb. And if you get too frustrated, you can just reload, you know, and if not, yeah. you push on through. It's just a really fun game. And it really rewards me for thinking outside the box in a way that other games haven't, you know, and I love I like what you said about it being a lightning in a ball experience, because I think what, what a lightning in the ball experience does is it raises the quality bar. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it really asks anyone else to meet to meet it. I think it just asks them to get close to it. You know what I mean? Like 100%. And, and it doesn't have 100%. to be the same thing. I think most people, I know Wesley would not be one of them, but I think most people, if you ask them what they wanted out of Mass Effect 4, 
if what you got was essentially Mass Effect 2 again, like mm-hmm. that quality, that type of game, I think that'd probably pretty much satisfy Mass Effect fans as a whole. I say maybe not Wesley. Oh, Wesley. His least, yeah. His least favorite of the three. Oh, I But like, yeah. Say, but he'll like love Mass, this game. Yeah, but like, so like if, if Mass Effect, the new Mass Effect, if it can just deliver on kind of, you know, the high points of that series, which mm-hmm. were, most people would say two, there's elements of one and three. I think that would be satisfying. Then the next Mass Effect, the next Elder Scrolls, it doesn't have to be this thing where you can drop a candle on oil and it, mm-hmm. it blows up. You know, it doesn't have to do what Baldur's Gate 3 does. It doesn't have to try to imitate. I, I mean, I think all good game developers, you know, look at inspiration from the best of their contemporaries. But uh, no, I think it just it, it raises the quality bar and it just says, hey, this is where it's at right now. You have your... In 2011, the quality bar for RPGs, you had like your your uh, Skyrim, and 2015 you had your Witcher 3, and you have Baldur's Gate 3 now, and it just says, hey, this is kind of where it's at, and you don't have to you don't have to meet it, but like, why don't you try to get a little closer, you know? 100. percent I can see where some of that stuff is a, a another example of being a tough barrier to entry. Some of it could seem daunting and overwhelming. Like, well, I'm not going to think about that. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. I want to turn my mind off and just blow through a game. This isn't that kind of game, but if you're it's someone who game, really yeah. loves richly, you know, rich storytelling, um, an impactful world that has a lot of world building in of itself, it's great. You don't need to be a and d fan to be thrust into this. Part of the, the best thing about this is the fact that it's so similar to Mass Effect in the vein that like the world has already been there living and you're picking up on it. You're like, oh, what's this race? Oh, it's a Turian. Oh, you guys are all in the Citadel together. Oh, the Citadel- first race here was the Asari. You're picking up stuff like that as you're going yeah. through the game. And it's very rewarding in that way because it doesn't it's not necessarily holding your hand. But at the same time, it's not expecting you to have to come with all this baggage of understanding. And for those that get into it, for those that like it, there is a this is actually this game actually serves as a sort of sequel in a way to an actual D&D tabletop campaign module called Descent into Avernus. They reference a lot of the events in that. This is another case, though, of like, you don't need to understand that. I've listened to a little bit of a story about that, but like. For the first like 20 hours of the game, I had no idea about that. So all this stuff that they were talking about that was referencing that, I'm like, oh, cool. Like this is something that just happened beforehand. World's not waiting for you to arrive. But when you get there, you can make an impact. And that's what's awesome. And uh, like I said, in terms of the tabletop stuff, it's really only the dice rolls that really spell out like tabletop. You know, the rest of the stuff is more in the background and you don't have to think about that. Even when you make character create uh, and character creation, Brian. It'll already give you by default recommended like if if you if you don't want to think like oh, I need to put a lot of points in strength or intelligence or constitution, it'll just come recommended with the class. And if you can change if you want to change that, you can. But recommended is yeah. the best way to go. So it's a very amazing game. I can't wait to play it again. I was literally playing it before Brian and I uh, got recording. I, 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 I I'm almost grumpy at times because. I just can't wait to get back to it, and I don't want to yep. go to work. Uh, Stephen Hawes said it, uh, but like you just want to clone yourself so you can just go play these yeah. games that are coming out. We're eating That's so good right now. about Starfield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, man, I just when I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about it, and I can't wait to make my next build, even though I'm probably not going to play it for a while because of all these other good games. But it's yeah. already making me think about that, whereas most games I play, I'm like, when this is done, I'm moving on to this. There's a part of me that's like, I don't want to move on. I just want to live here forever. I can't wait to play it I think it again. Baldur's Gate 3 is that generational game we've been talking about. Yeah, I think I it think is. What it, it has the benefit of being uh, sort of, even though it's the third in the franchise, it's sort of a new IP in a way that's unfamiliar. It's just like Witcher 3. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Because like something like the next Mass Effect, it's like that comes with the expectation of like, 
please be better than Andromeda, but at least be on the same level of the original trilogy and yeah. s- to some different degrees. Same thing with the next Dragon Age, for example, or KOTOR remake or something. There's a base level of expectation. This kind of came out and it was just like, well, it's a new Baldur's Gate. Wow, we haven't got one of those in a while. Please be good. And it was, you know, but it's they reference events from the first two. But the gap between two and three is like, I think, over 100 years apart. So you're not really needing to, to yeah. play those. Amazing, amazing game, you guys. And I hope I know a lot of you guys are waiting for the Xbox release, but I recommend trying it. And for people like Tony that want to play it with your wife and stuff, you're going to have a blast, buddy, because it really does uh, take that tabletop experience and put it into a video game. It is it is the closest thing I've ever had, and it feels so identical. Love it. Sweet. Yeah, you guys, you heard it here first. 11 out of 10 from Josh, if you had to judge it right now. Just being game subjective, of, though. It's just enjoyment. Yeah. Like, of course, yeah. I'm going to say that. Of course, I'm going to eat its ass. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's got a couple cons in there, but they're very minute. Yeah, the, the game sounds amazing. And honestly, like, I'm looking forward to trying it on the Xbox when it comes out. Um, and, and this is just one of those games where, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's so big that it grabs even people like me who just would never be interested in the type of combat. But I love the characters and the dialogue in these types of games. And that's what I'm looking forward to experiencing. But, um, one last we're, thing, we're, eat, we're eating good. I was just going to say, and, and you might be able to feel the same way with Starfield. I don't know, but my mental health has been so much better because of this game. I don't know if it's oh, just yeah. because of the gaming season. There's so much, there's Starfield and Boulder's gate. Then we got Spider-Man two Mario game, you know, all this other stuff coming out. But this game, when I'm playing it, it just makes me happier. And I'm just, and that's when I played KOTOR for the first time, it was the first game I ever played that let you make choices that had an impact on people. Like you you could hurt them or help them and all that. And it affected young me at the time. It affected me and how it made me realize that like, oh, when I talk to people, I need to be more considerate of how I come across and all that. And that was really cool for me. This doesn't quite hit that because it's not, you know, I've already had that first experience there. You know, and you always remember your first, but like it's giving me that sense of like, I'm just really happy because I'm making an impact like you would in like Bioware games. But also all the agency makes me feel like it really makes these characters at the time feel like real people because of the motion capture, the way they're interacting and looking at you on top of your choices. It's definitely been a feel good time because the fall weather's starting to hit and it's that game Mm, season. And like love it. Football's back. Playing a Bethesda game again, like it takes me back to like. Oddly enough, and I'm not trying to hate, because I actually think Fallout 4 is a good game, but I'm not trying to hate on it, but it takes me back to 2011 when Skyrim came out, and me and Josh and, Cre- and Creighton were in line at the midnight launch for that, because uh, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, it's, it's we're playing another Bethesda game again, finally. And like, I mean, I had that with Fallout 4, of course, but I just I don't reflect on that as much as, as this. So, And, you know, I've already, this year, I've already played so many good games, and i still got more coming up, and it's a great time. It's a great time. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think Baldur, Baldur's Gate 3, unless something really shocks us, though, I think it's a lock for either game of the year or i mean it's definitely going to be it's going to be like the number two one or two nominee and it i think it'll probably win but like i, I think we've Baldur's gate 3 if this is if there's this year's a mountain of gaming mm-hmm. like or like a, a a diagram or how do you want to put like a graph like we were going up 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 and i think Baldur's gate 3 was the peak yeah and i think we're just slowly maybe descending down you know like that that makes it sound bad i don't mean that no but i just mean like Baldur's Gate 3 is, is probably that peak experience. Spider-Man 2 previews, I mean, the impressions are something really great. good. Yeah. yeah Two Mario like, games, Avatar for me, uh, Assassin's yeah, Creed Alan Mirage for a lot of people, Alan Wake 2. Yeah. Gosh, we got so much still coming. Good shit. It's only good getting shit. started, but yeah, great game. I I love it, man. Makes me happy. But all right, guys, that's the first part of the review in progress for Baldur's Gate 3. If I had to guess, 
Because I know Starfield, we're only going to have one more review in progress, and we'll, that'll sum that up because it's all we need for Starfield. I'm guessing Baldur's Gate 3 with how long Josh plays games. <laughs> three, four, five. This could be a six-part series the fun over thing the course with this of a year. Is it's just you know. down to a case of just I need, an, I need enough time to get into it. I'm yeah. busy. I've been very yeah. busy, but but I when you I'm get enough time logged in to do a part two. You like I know. I can I can easily see a scenario where Spider Man Two comes out and I really just don't play it because I'm still in the thick of Boulder's Gate. And normally yeah. I will still play the new hotness for a bit, and then I'm suddenly like jumping between two games. Once the new hotness FOMO wears off, it don't matter. You just go back to playing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. All That's right, guys. Good. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. And as always, keep it sacred. <laughs>